Hey there, Interweb. Uh, we're going to have another road trip. Uh, this time we're, we've been invited by uh, listener Scott Phillips uh, to the Coonan Brewing Company at 26,000 Grossbeck Road in Clinton Township, Michigan. Uh, we're going to be meeting there at on June 7th at 7.30 p.m. Uh, so I uh, hope to see you there. And you can find details about that at the website, graceontap-podcast.com. And if you would like to be like Scott... And everybody wants to be like Scott. And you ho- want to host a future road trip of Grace on Tap, sh- shoot us an email at graceontap.podcast at gmail.com. On January 12th, 1519, Maximilian, Emperor of the Holy Roman Emperor, died at Vels in Upper Austria. He had spent his life scheming and creating alliances, often through marriage, to elevate the House of Habsburg. The last few years of his life, he focused on locking in his gains by passing down the title of Emperor to his grandson, Charles V of Spain. Even though this was the highest priority for Emperor Maximilian, it wasn't going to be easy. Charles was already the King of Spain, and if he also held the title of Emperor, he would rule both Spain and Germany, effectively surrounding Italy and the Pope, who controlled much of the land that is now Italy. Now, the Pope didn't like the idea of being surrounded. I'm Mike Yakely. And I'm Evan Gertner. And this is Grace on Tap. Grace on Tap is a podcast where we discuss the history surrounding the documents and ideas from the Lutheran Reformation. Now, today we're going to be talking about the election capitulation. Ooh, that just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> it really does. This is a, this is a document that was uh, absolutely critical to the Reformation, but it's typically overlooked by Lutherans, mostly because there's really no theological value. It's purely, purely political and historical. Uh, another reason it's overlooked is that Martin Luther really had nothing to do with it. So in my volumes of Luther's works, I will not find this there. No, no. No, I, I don't, honestly, I don't even remember. And uh, Luther so Luther doesn't it. talk about it. He, he never even references it. But it's impossible to know what might have happened to Luther without this document, the election capitulation. Now, election capitulation as a title can refer to any document that would be signed by the new emperor as a condition of qualification for how he will rule as emperor, so that those who elected him say, we're electing you as the emperor as long as you do these things. Basically, almost like campaign promises, but with, a, basically, you only have seven people you're making these promises to. And it's a way for those electors to hold the emperor accountable. You said you were going to do this. And it's not just a said, it's not like just a campaign promise, because Charles V is going to swear an oath to uphold his election capitulation. Now, without the election capitulation, like like Evan said, it's impossible to know what would have become of Martin Luther. But most likely, he would have ended up like John Huss and being burned at the stake. John Huss had been burned at the stake at the Council of Constance a hundred years before Luther. He had been given a promise of safe passage to come to that council and explain his theology. So he left Bohemia, he went to Constance, and he spoke his mind and then was burned at the stake, um, which gave Luther uh, more pause any time he entered into a negotiation and had been given a promise of safe passage. 
one of the things I think gave Luther more confidence is he had a noble, Frederick the Wise, uh, that was supporting him. So he did not have to just rely on the word of his opponent because his opponent had to keep his word. Frederick Thwise had an army that forced his opponent to keep his word. So now this particular episode is going to be talking, because we're talking about the election capitulation and we're outside of the theological realm, this is purely political. It's a whole new cast of characters. So we need to talk about who we're dealing with. Um, We have Maximilian. He's the emperor of the Holy Roman Emperor. He's a Habsburg. He has uh, been an emperor uh, for some time. And as we described in our opening, uh, he has worked to solidify his family's rule. So, so you have the Habsburgs and you have Maximilian and, you know, he's been working very hard at this. Uh, and then there were, there were three major competitors, maybe two that were top. And then the third that just kind of brought a wrinkle. Uh, yeah. A, a dark horse. We'll say the dark horse. All right. So who's the first one? The first one is going to be, of course, Charles V of Spain. Now, he's another Habsburg. So he's, of course, Maximilian is looking to his grandson. He says, we're going to continue the the Habsburg lineage as emperor, and you're going to be the guy. Now, we think of political parties and and political positions defining what side a person is going to be on. Well, in Europe, at this point, everybody is Roman Catholic, and they're all in support of pretty much the same ideology in the Western world. So the defining principle isn't going to be a political party. So so they find other things to kill each other over. Right. If we're not going to kill ourselves over <laughs> politics, it's family. Let's kill each other over family or the language or the way you dress. We'll find something to kill you over. And these are wealthy families who are loyal to one another. Um, and the loyalty ran deep. Marriages and uh, titles were secured in order to... Uh, preserve a family's rule. Now, these were very wealthy families. Uh, the Habsburgs, of course, were very wealthy. And they're get, Habsburgs uh, will be loyal to? Habsburgs. And the Medicis will be loyal to the Medicis. And we imagine the Fugers will be loyal to the Fugers or anything for the Fugers that will make them money. The Habsburg had been the emperor since 1438. So almost 100 years at this point, Habsburg has sat on the throne of the Holy Roman Empire. Uh, prior to his death, uh, uh, Maximilian, uh, he had supported the election of Charles V. Right. So, um, and what helped secure this support is, uh, Charles, uh, we had, uh, Louis, the second king of Bohemia, uh, brother-in-law to Charles is an elector. So, so things are looking pretty good. So of the seven people, we've got one guy in the, in, in Charles pocket, which is his, his, uh, so he at least has one vote. Right. So that's starting with something. That's starting with something. But but he's got problems. Charles is an outsider to Germany. He wouldn't uh, couldn't speak German. And he already controlled Spain. So if he was elected, that would give him control of France. And this would uh, I mean, this would give him control of Germany, which would surround France. Now, you have to um, if you if you have a map, if you're familiar with your, your European geography, which I know many people aren't, but. If you go, if you take Germany, go south, all the way. Now, the 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 Holy Roman Empire actually included the the northern territory of Italy. So, so it's not just it's not just Germany. 
It's the northern part. We always we reference it as Germany in this podcast just because it's it's easier. At that time, it is. Yeah. Well, it, 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 even at that time, it, it included the northern that northern section of of Italy was also part of the Holy Roman Empire. Well, Italy as a, a nation was not something that existed at that time. It was just a fractured set of yeah. ducal lands, noble lands, lands owned by the Pope. Italians as a people is there's the Viennese, there's the Nepalese, there's the Bolognese. I mean, the idea of modern nation state is sometimes um, written back into history by us. But at this time, there is uh, a fracturing of Europe that is held together by family bonds um, and which families are controlling which thrones. So, so what we have here is we have the Habsburgs who are controlling Germany. The Habsburgs have taken control of Spain. So now you have the Habsburgs really running this big part of Europe. Now the Pope is a Medici. So he's, he's part of, and that's, that's a banking family that, uh, that grew to power in, in Italy. And for those of you who like Renaissance art, a lot of the artists in the Renaissance are supported by that family. So, so you have this, this, uh, this, this, this family that is running most of Italy, the, that central part of Italy, which is controlled by the Pope, and then the Pope is a Medici. Uh, also, Francis, let's get into this. The, uh, so our second contender now, not surprisingly, if France is going to be surrounded, they want to have someone who has uh, 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 Italy, as, Italy, uh, the Pope. Uh, the well, Pope but gonna, even France is controlled. Oh, you're right? right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. So, so France is also trying to avoid being surrounded. And so he doesn't want to be surrounded by Charles V. So France is the first. He has consolidated France. France is really one of the first nation states in Europe, uh, consolidated by Francis. And now he's looking to extend his influence by taking over Germany. Now you have to sort of think back. This is the last time, at least the reading I did, the last time anybody had controlled that particular piece of land where it's France and Germany. You're going back to Charlemagne. Yeah. Whose name, we say Charlemagne, but that's Charles, Charles the Great. So it's kind of interesting to think that we're talking about Charles the Fifth and Charles the Great. Charlemagne was the first Charles. So Charlemagne, or, or Charles the Great, you know, was, uh, he, he, he was the first, first Holy Roman Emperor. I think we talked about him in a previous episode okay. where he went to go pray one day and he was, uh, it was at the, the Pope said, hey, you know, <laughs> put a, Put a crown on his head and guess what? You're now the Holy Roman Emperor. So if Francis can be elected, he would really be the new Charlemagne. Sure. And this would this would be this would be of course he wanted that. You know? And, and so, so Pope wants Francis to be elected because that puts a good wedge in the Habsburgs' desire for power. Now, not just the the Pope, the Pope Leo X was a Medici, but also Francis, the Francis of France was also a Medici. So there's the possibility of them being able to work together. Yeah, you have these family bonds that are working together. And, and so that same, what, what Evan talked about a moment ago, in Italy, you got these this ducal area, and it really comes down to, you know, hey, I got a brother, you know, and, and so, but it's it's sort of like that, you know, where they're, they're more friendly to each other because they're family. Now, the third candidate, a dark horse contender, Henry VIII of England, uh, married to Catherine of Aragorn of, Fran- of Spain. Oh, okay. okay. And uh, now that marriage is going to end bad. Boom, boom, <laughs> yeah. boom. Just anticipate something there. But the election of Henry would avoid having one person with too much power in continental Europe. Um, 
Now, Henry lacked the money and influence in continental Europe to really be a serious contender. And his family, the Tudor family, they're still kind of new in power as well in England. So he doesn't have the long lineage of networking, although they did have um, Normandy for a long time. Uh, but Henry uh, was at the fourth had given up Normandy. So this role of getting Henry back into continental Europe would be a big desire of his uh, advisors. But he's kind of a dark horse contender because he didn't have that long-term list of advisors among the electors that could whisper into those electors' ears and say, remember Henry, remember Henry. And also, Henry doesn't have the same banking power behind him. He doesn't have the Medicis, who are a banking family. He doesn't have the Habsburgs, which I think they're a banking family. Well, the Habsburgs are supported by the, the Fuggers. Oh, okay. That's so that, the banking uh, family that's supporting them. So, so, and the reason for a banking family is because of the bribes. Yes. And we'll get into that after our beer break. So let's let's uh let's take a little break for beer. Uh today's beer is the Rochester Mills Brewing Company uh milkshake stout. So if I saw milkshake on the rest uh menu, I would think I'd be getting ice cream. <laughs> wow. But what makes it a milkshake stout is the addition of lactose, a milk sugar, and that's gonna add some complexity, some body, uh and sweetness. I I can just, I feel like I had like a, uh, a hard candy in my mouth after I've taken a drip, a drink from this. It just, the sugars just last in the mouth. Uh, you know, this is a, uh, it's, it's one of their, their, I think they call it their flagship. I'm trying to remember the, 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 the website. Uh, but I, it's, I think it's one of their flagship beers. Uh, very good. Very Smooth, good. creamy, full flavored. And, uh, it's, uh, maybe at some time a seasonal, uh, offering that you just find at the pub. Uh, but now it's more prominently featured due to popular demand, and they have uh, um, some distribution that's happening now. So Rochester, my family has some connection there. My wife and I got married at St. John Lutheran Church in Rochester. She's oh, really? a proud, proud graduate of St. John Lutheran uh, Schools Elementary School. Although um, pretty much my touch with Rochester is that day we got married. Otherwise, I, I would only go to Rochester for not really for any other purpose. <laughs> uh, do, do, is the family's not up there anymore? She lived in Macomb. Oh. Uh, but her parents attended St. John because that's where her mother taught school. Ah, okay. Okay, yeah. I, I had friends up there, and uh, guys I went to college with were up there in Rochester, and so I have got familiar with the area a little bit driving yeah. up there. I've been by the Rochester Mill Beer Company because uh, we bought these rubber stoppers for the chairs at church so it wouldn't scratch the floor, and I got lost on my way to the factory where I was picking them up because we were ordering like a 1,000 of them. Okay. And so I didn't order them just from the... Granger Supply Company. I went right to the factory and I got lost in my way and turned around in their parking lot. Oh, so okay. that's like my only connection with the Rochester Mills Beer Company besides <laughs> this drink right now. So the, 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 uh, the, I guess they made their pub out of, uh, uh, I'm going to say the Western Knitting Mill is what, at least it, if I remember right, it was, that's what it said on the website here that they, they sort of refurbished this old knitting mill. That goes back, oh my goodness, hundred year, over 100 years. Yeah, so first in 1844, then that building was destroyed in 1867. And that second three-story building operated on the site until it was destroyed by fire in 82. This sounds like a Monty Python. Dangerous episode. place. <laughs> Although all these wood buildings, I mean, you think about the Chicago fire. Oh, yeah, yeah, so, back in those days. So then the present building, 1896. Okay, so this is a, a little bit over a hundred years old. Uh, they they had you know working through the World War II and made all sorts of things there. They, if you check out the website, just tons of stuff. 
Um, Some history involved. And I wonder, it reminds me of uh, a place in Chicago where they made the little Viennese sausages. There's an old uh, This American Life episode about how they expanded and went to a new site and it didn't have that same wonderful flavor the sausage did. And then they found out uh, that in the new place, they pretty much had everything really localized. In the old place, they would have to get all the sausages in this uh, tub and then roll them. And it pretty much rolled through the whole factory until it got to a, the next spot. And it took on all these flavors. <laughs> I wonder if, uh, you know, you get a beer that's brewed in one of these historic buildings. Uh, do you do you taste the khaki gloves that the Western Knitting <laughs> Mill used to taste? Well, I guess... Fortunately, I don't. I don't no, taste I, the I don't, khaki I don't, gloves. I don't, I don't, doesn't taste at all like gloves. Uh, in, uh, in 2012, they moved to... Uh, they have a production brewery place that, that now they, they moved everything out of there. And, they, you know, they got... They basically overgrew... The, so now the, the pub is just a great place to hang out. Now and the not pub the, is a great place to hang out. Maybe they make some limited batches. I, when I was looking at the website, there were, oh my goodness, there were tons of tons of uh, beers they make there. So, so uh, today, the original milkshake stout uh, from Rochester Mills Beer Company, established in 1998. Uh, good beer. Good beer. Okay, well, let's let's move on. All right, so now going back to our three guys, one thing of note is these guys are young. And so there is an understanding that this election may define the Holy Roman Empire for a long time. Now, Charles V, how old is he, Mike? He's 19 years old. Can wow. you, I, that, that, I mean, that, that, it's hard for me to get my head around that. When I was 19 years old, big memory I have from when I was 19 years old, Mike, is doing laundry for the first time at college. And I mixed a, a black sweatshirt with uh, a pair of uh, white t-shirts and they all came out gray. This uh, is me at 19. And Charles V is going to be elected the Holy Roman Emperor, maybe. At 19. At 19. Oh, my goodness. And yeah. then Francis I, King of France, He's was 21. 21. I, I mean, uh, this is unbelievable that and henry the eighth he's the old guy at 28 uh it's still it's 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 indescribable you know to think of these guys running huge huge portions of the global economy so talking about global economy incredible amounts of money becomes available to buy the position these bankers are at work because they know who is in power has a lot to do with funneling where more money will be loaned from francis uh, uh, France has two votes locked up uh, because of 300,000 gold florin. That's about $42 million available to spend in bribes. Well, oh, my. Yeah. So the, 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 this isn't cheap. $42 no. million that you can have at your disposal to buy off, you know, somebody to vote for you. One of the seven no. guys. Now, this wouldn't be seen as a dirty bribe. It's more of just this was politics in the 16th century. So now the 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 second one was now the one thing I want to take a step and maybe we'll get into this uh, was that there was a, well we will get into this in a minute but there's a lot of frustration a lot of anger about the open bribery that's going on in the in the well, election probably among the nobles there's no frustration because they think money will come to them but it, the frustration is among the people especially the knights the German knights. Uh, are not nobles in the same sense of Frederick the Wise or any of these other people. The knights are largely the mercenary soldiers that are sent around to do battle. And they see that the people that are going to send them into battle are making decisions not based on what's best for the people, but what is best for their pocket. And the German knights don't want to go to war for money. 
They want to go to war because there's something of value. Well, money and value, look at those two things. Something of virtue. They, Germanites want virtue in what they're doing. And so they're getting angry. Yeah. There's one guy that I ran across uh, named uh, Francis von Sickingen. Uh, and, and he was, he said he was prepared to force the election to Charles if the King of France looked like he was going to win. So that was, that was sort of surprising, you know, that, that he, he, he wanted, he thought that Charles was the rightful, the rightful heir. It sort of makes sense since, but he's threatening some kind of revolt. Yeah. Uh, maybe some armed revolt. Um, and this comes to a head the day before the election when Luther's protector, Frederick the Wise, was approached with the offer to be the next emperor. This is a whole new wrinkle. Essentially, this is the notion. Frederick the Wise is a much older man. Now, let, let's take, let's, I'm going to take a, just a moment back to before our beer break and we'll, we'll just sort of recap a few things just to bring everybody back up to speed. You've got, you've got Francis, uh, from France. You've got Charles from Spain, and you've got uh, uh, our friend uh, Henry, Henry VIII from England. From yeah. England, and and these three are going for it, and they're all kings. They're all already. kings. That's all. That's a problem because they already control huge pieces of land. So the Holy Roman Empire is just one more piece of land. Yes, and so so the 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 electors are looking at this and they're saying, you know, we don't like the idea of any of these guys becoming super powerful, and so. Let's take a look at who else could possibly take this position. So Charles has one vote locked up with his brother-in-law. Francis has two votes blocked, uh, locked up because of the $42 million in bribes. Then there is Frederick the Wise. He is one of the electors. Um, he wasn't a king. He Which was, is good. That works for him. That's value because he's not bringing a bunch of land and uh, big consolidation. He was well-respected. I mean, just look at his name, Frederick the Wise. Yeah. Um, uh, he was German. Now, and this gets back to, you know, basically these guys are, one guy's from France, one guy's from Spain, one guy's from England. Where's the German? Where's our voice? Yeah. You know, here you're going to be leading us. And and you don't even, for, for example, Charles, Charles doesn't even speak German. He can, uh, can you imagine, you know, somebody speaking Chinese running the U.S.? I mean, it's... it's <laughs> no, I cannot. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, um, I'll stop there. But he was German and he was more experienced. He was also much, much older, which gave maybe an opportunity to say, let's just punt on these other three guys for a little while. Let's uh, cool off all the money. Let's cool off all the stress and let's just punt. Uh, Frederick the Wise can have it for a little while. And then after Frederick the Wise, then we can think. I wonder if it was kind of like maybe hoping like John uh, the First uh, with... Uh, in the sixties with, before Vatican II, when they elected him to be. Oh, Pope yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. That, that, probably. Yeah. Oh, John, for those of you who aren't familiar with Roman Catholic history, recent history, uh, just before John, the John, the first was, uh, he, he was basically elected cause he was old. They couldn't figure out who they wanted. And so the, the, the Roman, uh, bishops, cardinals, yeah, cardinals, I'm sorry. The cardinals decided on John the first, because, well, he's old and he's going to die and, you know, we just need to put this off for a little while. And then, lo and behold, he... He calls for Vatican II. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's one of the most consequential popes uh, in recent years. So, so Frederick, though, doesn't want the job. But he's able to use his position as an elector to negotiate with the other competitors. Frederick wrote the election capitulation. 
It was a list of 36 commitments that the new emperor would make. So they're sort of like we said earlier. They're sort of like campaign promises, except with an oath. And so pretty much every emperor has had an election capitulation. So this isn't something new. This is expected.、Um, but for our discussion, a significant part of this election capitulation is that Frederick included language that said no German could be outlawed. Without first having a hearing in Germany. So, what does that mean? Well, this is specifically placed in the election capitulation by Frederick the Wise to protect Luther from being removed from Germany and taken to Rome for trial. So, it basically takes the Pope's authority away. A big part of the Pope's he can't the Pope can't directly arrest somebody. He has to go through German some sort of German authority. And the Holy Roman Emperor. If it's Francis, if it's Henry VIII, if it's、uh, Charles V, they have to work in Germany, and that means that the interests aren't going to be directed by France. The interests aren't going to be directed by Spain. The interests aren't going to be directed by England. The interests of Germans will be directed by Germans. On June twenty eighth, fifteen nineteen, Charles V is unanimously elected as the Emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. I I find that interesting, unanimous, because Francis thought he had two votes secured, and I think what happens is that everyone realizes where the election is going, and no one wants to be the no vote because if you're the no vote, then you have no voice in this new empire. And, and I, 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 I that's certainly, and then I think another big part of it may be that.、Uh, These guys, they they don't want to present. Uh, they want to present a united front out to the world. They don't want to undermine this guy's authority going out. You know, at the start of his his work.、It's、so like, there's the internal. We all want to have a voice, and externally, we all want to be seen as having one voice. Yes. Charles V is named the new emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. At、uh, 19, he's one of the most powerful men the world has known. He's the king of of Spain. He's the emperor of Germany. Netherlands, Austria, and Northern Italy, and then he's also got you know now just recently, 1492, Christopher Christopher Columbus discovered sailed the ocean blue. <laughs> he sailed the ocean blue and found、uh, the New World. So so Charles also now it's not really it's not bringing in any money yet. It's just it's kind、expensive. of actually expensive. It's expensive, but he controls South America too. So that's that's going to be、uh, that's going to be important going forward. So Charles V. Elected at nineteen has a lot of problems. Well, the first one is that、uh, he's already receiving letters from Spain during the election. During the election, he's receiving letters from Spain saying that there's a revolt that's brewing in Spain, and、uh, it's the Camioneros, and that that actually goes on for for quite a while. It ends up being two years of open war. Between the Spanish nobility and the commoners, so that same kind of revolt is going to hit Germany a few years later in 1525 with the peasants' revolt. Yeah, so the the there's a there's a it's in the air. You know, it's it seems like the whole air that that whole all of Europe is ready to explode. It's a it's a it's, it's a, some of the character of the Enlightenment and the identity of of 
knowledge and definition of who I am, not only based in the community and my noble, but also who I am. And if my identity is based in my individual voice, then my individual voice should be heard. So there is this struggle between nobility and commoner, and it's really coming out with the enlightenment and humanism and the role of the voice of the individual. And Luther ends up playing a huge role in that by giving a theological backing to this this idea of the individual and i will i think we'll be talking about that in, in some future episodes but but that's that that's another big component to all this is that- and in between all this there's also francis the first uh france uh continuing to be a problem and then the turks the turks are threatening the south of europe rising up through the danube coming towards vienna and Charles is now primarily responsible for the problem of the monk in Wittenberg and what to do about this new theology that is dividing his empire and making it difficult for him to provide a united defense against the Turks. Now, one, one of the things that I thought was interesting, so you got a 19-year-old kid, right? I know me at 19. If I, you know, I, if I took over, I, I, I think I probably wouldn't, I probably would have been rash. Yeah. Think about Solomon's child, Rehoboam, um, Old Testament. Yeah. uh, He he is, Solomon dies, Rehoboam becomes the king, and old wise leaders say, make sure to listen to the north. His young leaders say, make sure to punish the north. Uh, Rehoboam listens to those young leaders. He punishes the north, and the north splits, and uh, Israel and Judah become a divided kingdom for a couple hundred years. So that's, and I could, you know, looking at my... That's me at 19. That's me at 19, too. So, you know, I'm, I'm not really, you know, but this is, this is one thing to say about Charles. He, he, he's, he's, he's cautious. So he's cautious. He recognizes, he recognizes that he's sitting on a powder keg. So when he's elected Holy Roman Emperor, he gets a new shield, a new uh, coat of arms. And on that shield, he places a motto. And the motto is Nandam, which means not yet. <laughs> let's, let's just punt. It, it his, is a big yield a, sign. His motto is it's a big punt. yellow light. <laughs> I'm not speeding through this. I'm slowing down. Caution, caution, caution. And, and we start to see that Charles is serious when he selected this model. Um, he has no interest in supporting the radical changes proposed by Luther, but he doesn't just march into Saxony with an army and try to seize him and then create a huge fracturing of the Holy Roman Empire. He works hard to find some solution. Yeah. So this is, this is, I think this pretty much wraps it up for this one. I, uh, the, the next, next episode, we're going to be getting back to Luther. But now we have we this now we've got we've got Charles has the throne Charles V has has ascended the throne of the Holy Roman Emperor. We're in 1519. We're getting into um, Luther hasn't been excommunicated yet. Luther still seriously uh, believes that there is reform possible in the church. The upcoming Leipzig debate is gonna. Uh, or is the Leipzig debate already happened? I, no, no, the Le- Le- Leipzig debate is coming up. It's yes. the summer of 1519. Yes, that's right. And and that is now Luther at the same period that this whole uh, the the election capitulation is going on. Luther is preparing for the Leipzig debate. Yes, and that's the, right. And the the uh, Leipzig debate is going to be a major major turning point for the Reformation. And big thing to know about the Leipzig debate is it brings a magnifying glass to what Luther really is talking about, which is, well, you got to listen to a future podcast. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we'll be introduced in that next episode to a, a character named Johann Eck, or John Eck. You'll hear him you know, referenced as John Eck, one of the most brilliant debaters of that era. 
Uh, and, and I would say, uh, I think he, he pretty much had a major hand in framing the Council of Trent, which to this day frames, uh, Catholic, the Counter-Reformation. It's the Counter-Reformation. It's, uh, it's, it still has a impact on Catholic theology. So, although with the ecumenical movement, they're, they're, they're sort of dance around that a little bit. But that's, uh, but it's very, very consequential person, very important person, and we'll be introduced to him. Uh, and Luther hasn't seen someone of this challenge yet. Maybe Cardinal Cajetan, but Cardinal Cajetan had a very specific role. Cardinal Cajetan was trying to be friendly. Eck has no reason to be friendly. And, yeah. and Eck. Oh, we are building this up so much. You gotta listen to the next episode. <laughs> all right. So thanks to Josh Yagley. Uh, great support with the sound and making sure we always sound better than we are. Uh, <laughs> thanks. thanks to St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamburg, Michigan. Um, my dad always wants to say Hamburg and I said, no. We don't. Uh, recognition of our source materials of course there's uh luther for the perplexed and and uh and then charles beard martin luther and the reformation in germany until the close of the diet of Ems. election capitulation say it three times fast and then probst and probst uh we have a couple other ones um uh we have uh um, oh, Daniel J. Castellano, repository of arcane knowledge. I'm gl- oh, you know, I'm glad you said that because that that was actually that's an excellent. It's a Catholic website. Uh, the guy who runs it, this uh, Daniel Castellano, is a um, he's an MIT grad, I think. Uh, very brilliant guy. Well, engineers can have good ideas <laughs> occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, I, th- I think the, there's a couple of them that were older. Uh, Henry Eister Jacobs, Martin Luther, the hero of the Reformation. I guess that one's not Catholic. That's, okay, <laughs> probably not. No. Probably not. And then Wikipedia is helpful as well. You can contact us at graceontap.podcast at gmail.com. You or, can find our website at. Uh, graceontap-podcast.com or you can catch us on Facebook. Also, we would welcome any reviews that you might want to post uh, on on, uh, on iTunes. That's always very, very helpful at, uh, at, for the way iTunes works, the, getting our word, word out there about us. So thank you for listening to another episode of Grace on Tap. Prost. Prost.